0: I'm Brittany Wilson. I'm Nia Wasink, and you're listening to the, the Nonprofit, Nonprofit Reframe. Frame. Because we know that nonprofits and their staff are undervalued, under-resourced, and unrelenting. Welcome back to the Nonprofit Reframe. Happy Monday, folks. Uh, we are coming to you a little early this month, January 9th, because we're not releasing this till after MLK Day. Had to get a bit of a jump start. Yes, planning ahead. Remember, isn't that
1: something we talked about doing? Being <laughs> proactive instead of reactive.
0: Yeah, and that's definitely what we're doing today. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I think so. It's not like the day before we realize that we're not working on MLK Day to be like, "crap, we need something." So,
0: I mean, I I am gonna put you on blast right now and say that you're about to sign off, forgetting that we had to record this episode. A hundred percent.
1: That's why we're a team, Nia. That's true. That's true. We lift <laughs> each other
0: up. <laughs> and call each other out.
1: <laughs> oh, it wouldn't be a great friendship without it. So I appreciate it. Thank you. Keeping me Thank on my her. toes. <laughs> That's
0: what I'm here for. So what are we talking about today? So, you know, we, we've hit on a few good DEI related topics we've definitely talked about it in terms of the board we've talked about white saviorism so today we wanted to just continue to like slice and dice that pie up and talk about DEI training specifically for staff
1: Mm. Mm. becoming Mm. more
0: and more common yes Interesting topic, because I feel like, again, there are a lot of different ways that organizations embrace or don't embrace training about topics related to diversity, equity, inclusion, and justice. So let's first off, just like harken back, harken back in the the decades of our lives. Can you remember the first DEI training you went to as a staff member?
1: Yeah, but it wasn't that long ago.
0: I know, right? (laughs) it's like embarrassing how recent it was yeah let's
1: harken back to just
0: a few years ago
1: right (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) i'm thinking it was probably 2019
0: okay okay do you remember first off was it somebody outside the organization that you brought in or that the organization brought in i should say yes thank goodness first and foremost yep this is one of our, our tips for today Stop having staff, especially staff with some sort of marginalized identity, come in and do your DEI training. It's bullshit. So, great. Your organization hired somebody from the outside. Any, like, takeaways, experiences, anything you want to share with the group? Oh, well, (laughs) I remember she sent pre-work for us to do,
1: and it was an article that we were supposed to read Maybe a couple of articles. But I remember one in particular that really called out white fragility. Ooh, cool. And one of our... So the staff did it with the board.
0: (gasps) Ooh. Mm Mm-hmm.
1: And one of our board members freaked out.
0: Oh, my God. I love it. Keep going. Freaked out
1: about the pre-reading. Holy shit. So she read it. she, She was really, really, she's a white woman. She was very offended by it. And she started going around office to office of staff (gasps) talking about how horrible it was and how she was refusing to go to the training.
0: Okay, so this is just fascinating. This is like when fragility meets Karenism. Yes. And actually, I have a feeling that a lot of Karenisms like have roots in fragility. Mm-hmm. Holy
1: shit. Yeah, it was unbelievably inappropriate on so many different levels, right? I mean, the way that she was holding court or like mm-hmm. creating this spectacle and you know, here she has a power dynamic with staff, right? But she was going to them as like allies. Like, don't you think this is horrible? Don't you think, like, I cannot believe that we're doing this. I am not going to this training. And all the staff is like, I don't know what to say because you're a board member.
0: Oh, yeah.
1: Oh, it was really ugly.
0: I have to say, I think this is one of the first times I've heard of a true joint board staff DEI training too. In my experience, most staff members are further in their journeys, Mm -hmm. and combining the board staff training feels like it would be really challenging.
1: Well, yeah. I mean, we've talked about it, about all sorts of different stuff, where if you have that power dynamic playing out, then can people really be honest? Right. And is it really a safe space? So yes, looking back, not really ideal. I would have to say, though, that it was one of the first organizations that I knew that had that type of training. I'm not saying that they were cutting edge, because again, (laughs) this is just in 2019. (laughs) But I mean, I I don't remember hearing of other organizations. I'm sure some of them were for sure. But it wasn't as, maybe it was in 2018, doesn't matter. But it, it just wasn't as common as it then became, right? Especially with George Floyd, then it's like everybody was having um and I bet it was kind of like let's just lump everybody in together and say that we did one.
0: Yeah. Yeah, a little checkboxing action. Mhm. Yeah. I think it's helpful to note from our backgrounds. I have only ever worked in white led organizations. How about you?
1: Um, let me think back through. Yes, correct.
0: That's a really important context for these conversations because BIPOC led organizations usually have very different cultures, especially around this kind of stuff, right? Like, we're talking about kind of dragging our organizations <laughs> into these discussions, forcing board members to go to trainings, like having really uncomfortable conversations. Whereas my colleagues who have worked in BIPOC led organizations, it's just so much part of the culture that like, yeah, we're going to be talking about everything from an equity lens. We don't right. we don't need to learn what that is. We're already doing it. Right. And wait, I should actually give one more caveat. I'm going to give three different types of organizations. There are white-founded, white-led, white-dominant culture organizations. There are like identity-led, founded, BIPOC-led, queer-led, et cetera. But then the third category are ones that were white founded that are now BIPOC led. Mm-hmm. And so they're kind of like yep. in this transition period of recognizing that they need better diversity and they definitely need better diversity and leadership while they still have like the bad habits of white folks.
1: <laughs> yeah, I would agree. That's a, a really distinct Characteristic of those organizations. And we're, I've been working with a lot of those. So I've been seeing that firsthand. Yeah. I would also say so, because I want to hear your experience as well. But in my experience for that one training, there's probably 25 people there, maybe, and two, maybe three people of color. Mm hmm. And then the facilitator was a woman of color, and the board member did end up going after talking with the
0: CEO. Oh, nice.
1: And ended up leaving and being, like, the biggest supporter of
0: the training. Oh, my gosh. That's amazing.
1: Yeah. Like, a complete 180.
0: Love that.
1: Like, it was just so much fear. Right. And then once she came and she was like, well, fine, I'm going to go, but I'm not going to participate. I'm just going to listen. But then as the training unfolded, she started to like, you could see her start to relax a little bit. And then she started, you know, chiming in here and there. And then by the end of it, she felt like it was really effective.
0: Oh, I love that. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like one thing that you brought up that resonates for me is like the need for caucus spaces, right? When we do these joint trainings that include white folks and people of color, like th- there's the potential for so much harm to be done. Mm-hmm. And I've seen so much harm done. I've probably perpetuated harm in those settings. Actually, I know I have. And it's part of like the indelicateness that so many of these white-led organizations go through as as they're transitioning. There's, there's one group... And actually, I'll make sure to drop this in the show notes because it's really, really good. But uh, they talk about like this race equity cycle for organizations, awake, woke and work. Mm. Right? I want to write that down. So when you're in the awake stage, it's like you're just focusing on people, on representation. It's like the diversity part of DEI when you go to woke, it's much more about culture and creating environments. It's the inclusion stage of it. You're starting to work on some behaviors and policies. And then when you get to work, it's that full integration of the racial equity lens into everything you're doing. It's administration, it's equity assessments, it's looking at your programs, your ops, all of it. And so all that to say, like, to take an entire organization and say, here's where we are, you're going to probably start earlier. Even if you have some folks who are like further in their own equity journeys, as an organization, you're probably starting at awake. You're just starting to realize that, oh, shit, we need to be doing this at an organizational level. I can't just be sitting here in my book and trying to, you know, change the world. It has to go through the entire staff, the board, our volunteers, our fundraising, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I really like that awake, woke work. I'm curious because you have co-facilitated these types of trainings, but when was the first time you participated in a training?
0: Yeah. So I was trying to think back on when I first would have been part of an organization-wide one. Like I know there were definitely some here and there that I would, like, opt into, go to that session at a conference, et cetera. But, like, truly my full organization participating was probably around 2015, 2016. Mm -hmm. And it was still with the lens of, like, disproportionality in the child welfare space. So meaning that we've got more black and brown kids represented in child welfare than the broader population. And my memories of that are, first off, like A level of defensiveness, which, yeah, that's what we see in white dominant culture over and over and over again. That's the fragility. And this sense of like trying to differentiate us. Well, Boulder County's numbers are different, right? Like that stuff is happening in Aurora, but not here. Like our numbers are actually pretty okay. And it was like both defensiveness, but also an opting out. Like we don't have to do this work as deeply because we're okay. We're good. Right. Which, of course, is not true. (laughs) That's so interesting. But what I thought was really interesting then, I feel like DEI work has to be this combination of the personal stuff and the organizational stuff. Like the the two have to go hand in hand. If as an individual, I'm not willing to address my own privilege, my own implicit bias, I'm really not going to be able to do the larger organizational stuff and vice versa. Yep. Yep. So at that point, though, it was really only on organizational stuff. It was looking at agency level. It was looking at systems level stuff, which was really hard because I had not effectively analyzed my own privilege and bias at that point and even my power in those spaces. Yep. And so it was pretty superficial. It was diversity, right?
1: Right. Well, it's interesting that you bring that up, the personal versus agency level, because what I remember from... My experience of taking this training, which I think is a byproduct of what you're mentioning, is that we were then able to take the concepts that we learned and the insights that we gained and apply them to the work that we were doing, Mm. but it wasn't happening internally. Yeah. Just like interpersonally within the organization.
0: Ooh, interesting.
1: And we weren't actually applying them to the organization's, what do I want to say, like HR practices or, you know, like how we want to run as an organization. What we were putting into the world, we were making sure was filtered, but not what was happening internally. That is literally
0: my next bullet point. Mm -hmm. Well done. Mm -hmm. Yes. And I think this is what happens too often too, when like training feels like the end result. Like we're all going to get into this room. We're going to have some hard conversations. We're going to learn some stuff. And then we're done. We did it. Right. And so like when we end up with that level of both understanding, but also like commitment and engagement, then it can end right there. And all we have to think about is how are we perceived? What are we putting out publicly? We don't really have to address our wages And how inequitable those may be. We really don't have to think about how our board operates and creates an environment that is really, really not welcoming to people of other races, right? Like, we don't have to do that next level of work because we've been trained.
1: Yeah. We all did the training.
0: (laughs) We did it. We We did it. We've arrived, Brittany.
1: (laughs) And I mean, that's, I remember what we talked about in the summer of 2020 and after George Floyd and when there really was this kind of upswell of organizations recognizing that they needed to do this training. But again, it was like, are you just checking this box, right? Like, what is the actual long-term work that you're going to continue to do? And what are you embedding into the culture of the organization to promote further expansion and further understanding of these concepts.
0: Yeah. I will say I get a little, mixed isn't quite the right word. I get a little hesitant when I think about some of the most powerful trainings I have been to personally. The ones that have like stuck with me for months, the ones where I go back and I reread the materials, the ones where I cried because I suddenly had like some new understanding. And the thought of bringing those into the workplace feels weird.
1: Mm Mm-hmm
0: feels like there might be some HR implications. And people who have better HR backgrounds than I do, please let me know if that's real. But then I also think like, if we're not doing that, if we're not pushing our staff to really understand what racial justice means and how we live it out as an organization, then what are we doing? It's scary, isn't it? It's
1: scary. This is deep personal stuff that we're talking about. Yeah, And so there's, and I get it. I mean, I'm somebody who just, it's kind of, I wear my emotions on my sleeve. I'm kind of what you see is what you get. I'm an, I, an open book. But there's a lot of people that are not that way. Yeah. And their work life is something that is very separate and different than their personal life. So to talk about things or have these kinds of training that pulls on, a more personal emotional tie. Like I I see, I get it why people are reticent to that. And so how
0: do we create spaces where people feel comfortable doing that? Well, and then that's when I also think about like training in a more broader context. Like it doesn't just have to be, we're going to sit in this room for three hours and have these really hard conversations. It's also like creating smaller book groups and caucus spaces and encouraging peer support and like All of that, to me, still fits within the training framework for DEI. Like, actually, some of the most powerful work I did was a, I want to say it was like a two-month-long weekly book group that we facilitated in small groups. So there were five of us facilitating. Each of us had our own small group. And so it meant that it was a smaller space. We were really careful about how we set it up to make sure that the CEO wasn't in a group where there would be really significant power dynamics that would make people uncomfortable of sharing with him and around. And it, it also meant that um, we, we create a space where people could go as deep as they wanted. You know, obviously, we want people to engage with the content real deeply, but n- not everybody wants to share that, and that's okay. So creating questions and discussion points that kind of go across the different levels of sharing so that everybody's got a place to plug in. Because it it is a process and not everybody's going to be there at the same time and same place. And sometimes that means that they don't have a place at our organization right now, which we need to get more comfortable with doing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like the number of conversations I have with clients of like, oh yeah, well, we've got this one staff member, so we have to be really careful about how we do this because they get really upset or they put up all these barriers. You're like, okay, well, if you want to do this work right and they're not willing to come along, maybe it's time for them to go. Right. Well, same with board members, right? Oh, God, yes. Could we start firing board members for too much fragility? Yeah, exactly. Exactly.
1: Well, but, you know, we're so easy. It's We're so quick to make excuses, right? Because they're a volunteer and because of this and this and they're probably a big donor and yada, yada, yada.
0: Ugh. Gross. Gross. Also, to any of our listeners out there who are thinking back and like, yeah, I think we did a training around 2019, and we haven't done one since. You might (laughs) want to talk about some things internally. A one-off training is never going to be transformational. Training is just one sliver of the larger pie that needs to be dedicated for an organization to really implement and adopt principles that are again, in alignment with your missions, like this all comes back to your missions and values. If you're doing social justice work and you're not providing time and space for education and training and greater understanding, again, you're probably not doing it that well.
1: Well, that's what I wanted to ask you. So you've worked with so many different organizations in this space. What are some of the things that they're doing, the people that are doing it well, what are they doing? Are they creating internal DEI committees, that are furthering the work and ensuring accountability and that it's actually happening.
0: Yes. Again, I want to speak specifically to white-led, white-founded organizations. Those are the ones that are, yes, they're creating committees that are a holder for this work, but it's kind of like when we talk about like fundraising committees. They're not doing the fundraising for the organization, but they are this really important accountability piece and liaison with the board. So similarly, to have the DEI committee to be able to do that is really great because then it also gives a place for staff members to go like, hey, we are thinking about changing our events in this way. Can you all look at this from an equity lens and make sure we're not missing anything? How great is that? They're also creating ongoing learning opportunities, whether that's bringing in speakers, partnering with other organizations to come in and teach, having book groups, but they're creating an intentional space so that the organization and its staff can continue their learning and growing. They're also probably creating space and time on like a board retreat agenda, making sure that those topics are always embedded in what they're doing. It's part of their strategic plan, whether it's a specific pillar or it's an ongoing value that is brought through every single pillar of the plan. Yes. And they're ensuring that what they're saying publicly is actually matching what's happening internally. Mm. Right there. That's it. Yeah. Like dust off those DEI statements that you released in June of 2020. Are you doing that shit? If not, you can create plans. You can make sure that it's happening. You can create accountability for yourself and your organization.
1: And what's your staff's perception of it, right? Yeah. Like, I just feel like it's important to be pulling or surveying your staff anonymously and finding out what their perception is and if they feel like that work is truly happening internally or not. Yeah.
0: Well, and I think it's also important to think beyond just racial equity. I mean, obviously, that is like such an important piece because of the white supremacy that created so many nonprofits. But if you're not talking about ableism, If you're not talking about transphobia, if you're not talking about anti-fat bias, like there's a lot of other pieces that you need to be thinking about as an organization that can impact the work you do. And because of those isms and our own implicit bias, it's easy to miss.
1: Absolutely. So knowing that the training is just one piece of it, right?
0: Mm -hmm.
1: How often should organizations be doing that type of training?
0: Oh, gosh. Well, I think it depends so much on the organization size. Like if you're a larger organization, let's get a quarterly cadence going. Let's get something really regular that staff are expecting. Have people be able to chime into what topics they really want to dive deeper into. I think for smaller organizations, it's easier to say we're going to have one big session a year, but then we're going to have stuff that builds on it. Maybe we're going to have a pre-reading that we start three months in advance and we're going to be working on as a team together I think the most important thing is not necessarily how frequently, but the intention with which it's done. Are you doing it to check a box? We're going to pay somebody to come in and teach our staff once a year. Or are you doing it because it truly impacts the way you do your work? Right.
1: So you have a lot of resources to share with people. Is that right? Are you going to put them in the show notes?
0: Yes. We're going to drop in the show notes. I'm going to put in that it's actually called Awake to Woke to Work. It's from Equity in the Center. They've got so many awesome resources. So I'll definitely drop that. The other one that I want to make sure folks have is the most recent Race to Lead report. And that's all about nonprofit leaderships, diversity, and they just do this massive survey. And so you can see both just how white the sector continues to be, but also it highlights some of the needs of EDs and CEOs of color. So as you're thinking... About the the future of your organization, if you're thinking about the need to have BIPOC leadership in the future, you know I, I think it's a really helpful grounding of the challenges. I mean we we've seen this locally. Yeah, we had a bunch of nonprofits hire leaders of color. It was so awesome. Like I felt like okay, Boulder County nonprofits are making a turn. Right, we're we're getting on the right track, and almost all of them have either burned out, been pushed out, or are planning to leave. Yeah, exactly.
1: Well, if you've been listening to this episode and questions or thoughts have arisen, please let us know. We want to hear from you.
0: This is a discussion. Yeah. As it should be in your organization, right? (laughs) (laughs) Like none of this, when I go in and do DEI trainings, we always say like, this is not just a process, but this is about an engagement process as well. You're engaging with the content. You're changing the way your brain thinks. You're relearning things. And so- often that learning best happens in discussion. So let us know. Email us, nonprofitreframe at gmail.com. Let us know what we got off base on. Let us know what really resonated. Let us know what your plans are for your organization this year. How are you embedding DEI trainings? How are you equipping your staff? How are you creating spaces for those discussions, et cetera, et cetera. And also on social media, Facebook and Instagram at nonprofit.com. Wait, what is it? At Nonprofit Reframe. <laughs> there
1: it is. <laughs> and don't forget, if you have not joined as a Patreon subscriber, we have behind the scene episodes that are happening every week in between these episodes that are available for the public. We've got some great ideas coming up about what we're going to do with those episodes. I don't know, maybe a book club, just putting it out there. I think it would be great. So go to Patreon, join as a Patreon subscriber, and you'll get access to all that extra material. All right. Thanks, folks. Have a good one. Bye.
0: Don't forget to become a Patreon subscriber for behind-the-scenes content starting at only $3 a month. Learn more at patreon.com slash nonprofit reframe. We would like to thank our sponsors. Brittany Wilson Consulting helps nonprofits raise even more money through fundraising, coaching, training, and event production. Learn more at BrittanyWilson.com. That's B-R-I-T-T-N-Y Wilson.com. Mission Launch is a Colorado-based consulting firm working towards social good in all sectors through fundraising, board governance, strategy and planning, and equity support. You can learn more at MissionLaunchCo.com and Jake Walker Music, who provides our theme music. You can find him at jakewalkermusic.org. Thanks for listening.